Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Hebrews chapter 3 Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as a builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for forty years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hindered by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As he has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of the Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? if not those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Thanks to Ronnie for reading for us from Hebrews 3 this week. We really appreciate it. Thanks to Claire and to James and Matt for leading us in worship and the guys again for all that they do behind the scenes. We appreciate them so much. A few weeks ago, we sort of ventured back into our series, Following Jesus in All of Life. It's hard to believe that this is actually week 13 of um, doing the services from the glass space streaming into your home. Hard to believe when we started that, that we'd still be doing it three months. We keep saying it every week. It's not the way we want to do it, but it's the way we have to do it. And we will get back together when the time's right and it's safe to do so, but at this moment in time, this is the way it is, so appreciate um, you allowing us into your homes. Um, 
We did this sort of following Jesus in all of life way back from last September, looking at the, this verse in John 14 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we looked at the ways of Jesus. We looked at the words of Jesus through some of the gospels, through Matthew. And then um, what we've been doing the last few while is looking at the life of Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to have the life of Jesus in us? What does it look like? What happens when we touch Jesus? Or maybe a bigger question still is what happens when Jesus actually touches us? And a good question to ask ourselves at the minute is, what are you noticing? What are you noticing both in ourselves and outside ourselves, in our love our neighborhood schemes that we are looking and praying and serving and watching out for what God is leading us into? And um, I love the book of Hebrews. It's one of uh, my many favorite books, but it is one up on the, on the top ranks of them there. And I love this chapter, especially how it addresses questions like, how can I be faithful? How can we help one another? Um, and these are important, if not more so today than they were when the writer of the Hebrews penned this book. Someone once said that, the book of Hebrews was probably written by a Hebrew to remind the Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. Now, you get your tongue around that, you'll be doing well. But we don't know who the writer is. He's unknown or she. Um, but it's a very powerful book. And so when we come to chapter 3, the first word is therefore, all right? And you'll, you can say it with me. I've taught you this over the years. You'll remember when you see the word therefore, you have to look and see what it's there for. And uh, it's a drawing a conclusion on previous things. It's like a hinge word. So it's taking us back to what's already been said and hinging it into what's about to come. And in the conclusion of chapter two, it explained that Jesus became human so he could save us human beings. And uh, because he was human, he qualified as our high priest and as our intercessor. He suffered, and so he knows the struggles that we go through, and he can sympathize with our weakness, we're told. He is able to help us through our temptations, because the Bible actually tells us that he was tempted in all things like we, we are, yet without sin. And some of the modern versions use the word messenger here and high priest, which it mentions in verse 1. The true rendering is our reading today is apostle. This is the only place in the whole Bible that um, Jesus is called an apostle. And of course, the word apostle means one who is, one who is sent. And if anybody was sent, it surely was Jesus. And also the book of Hebrews is the only book in the Bible that refers to Jesus as our high priest. As an apostle, he speaks to humanity on behalf of God. And as a high priest, he speaks to God on behalf of humanity. So he's our one mediator, we're told. The one mediator between God and man is the man, Christ Jesus, who bridges the gap between God and us. It's a beautiful imagery. And that's why we need to look to him at this moment in time. We need to look to him in life, and especially at this moment in time. And when you go on in um, the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 2, we're reminded to look unto Jesus because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So a quick synopsis of chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. We're exhorted to think about Jesus and are told that he deserves far more glory than Moses. Verses 5 to 6, we see the difference between the servant and the son. 
verses 7 to 12, we get the warning of resisting and how we, we could do that, how we could resist the Spirit. And then verses 13 to 15 speaks of the importance of encouragement and how we could do that better to one another. And then the last little section, 16 to 19, tells us about the importance of faith and the peril of not having it. But what I want to do um, this morning is I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. And if you wanted to put a title over our talk today, I would say this is our title, The Danger of Following a Trend Instead of God. The Danger of Following a Trend Instead of God. Now, we could go back into the book of Joshua, and we, could, we would see Joshua in chapter 5 going out to survey the big city of Jericho, the stronghold of a city, and and coming upon a heavily armor-clad warrior who turned out to be a heavenly messenger. And of course, Joshua's first response was to ask, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And of course, the heavenly messenger's reply would be, I don't take sides. So Jesus doesn't take sides, he takes over. And so it's really important to remember that. So why is it why is it that, that people have so much time or so much trouble in heeding warnings? Sometimes it's because we don't understand a warning, or more often it's not because we don't understand it, but we ignore the warning. Like it's a bit like um, when you see a, a little uh, a sign that says, don't touch wet paint. I don't know about you, but my first inclination is to check it out, is to touch and see, is the paint dry yet? And, um, and not paying attention to warnings can be a pretty silly thing, and it can also be pretty dangerous thing. And there are two major warnings in the book of Hebrews, found in the letter to Hebrews, and the first one you would find in chapter 2, um, in verses 1 to 4, and it says this, therefore, um, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's the first warning in chapter 2. Lest we drift away from it. Pay attention to what you've heard. Follow him. Don't follow a trend. Don't jump to the right or to the left. Follow him and listen to what he says. So he said, don't be drifting from the truth. But the second warning that we have comes, which I think is probably a little bit more serious because the, the first warning is the, is, the, is the danger of drifting. The second warning that we get in this chapter is the danger of deserting. The danger of deserting, leaving the truth you knew so well. And that's what was happening here in this chapter. So let's unpack um, some things that are very relevant, I think, for the church today. And we're just going to make three points, all right? So the first point that I want to make is that there's a warning to heed. There's a warning to heed. Listen to it, verse 7. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. That's a warning if ever. Today is emphatic. Today, God is speaking through a greater someone than Moses. And today, God expects us to respond. And the writer is reminding us that Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and has a relevant message that demands a present hearing. So he's, he's telling us to, to tune our ears. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he knew, the writer knew the human tendency to delay, to procrastinate, especially, it seems, with spiritual matters. And so he repeats three times. Actually, you find it in verse 7, verse 13, and verse 15. He uses the little word today, today, today. 
And today, of course, indicates urgency. Um, it's not necessarily talking about a 24-hour period, but rather it means now. In other words, it refers to this present moment in time. It's saying you need to sit up or sit down and listen to what's about to be said. I had an old school teacher who um, would, 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 would tell me to do something, and if it wasn't done quick enough, she would say, today. Now, she didn't mean before nightfall. She meant right now, right now. And of course, um, Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth in his second letter and in uh, chapter 6, he says this, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, today, right now, is the accepted time. So the time to respond to God is always now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there would be no better time than today, now, right now, where you sit would be a very important thing to do. Now, the problem begins when we hear the Word of God, we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then we tell ourselves that we, 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 we need to take action, but we don't do it. That's the danger, and it seems to be the slide of society. And we tend to procrastinate the most important issues in life. But the warning that runs through this section of the letter is that if we fail to follow through when we're challenged by the Word of God, then we face inevitable hardening that occurs when we hear and we fail to respond. And the heart gets harder every time we say no. Uh, every time we say no to Jesus, something happens. Um, uh, when we say no to, to his will and to his truth, something hardens and closes up in our hearts. And if we're tempted to put off our spiritual need, this scripture warns us of the danger of spiritual choices that encourage us not to miss out on what God has for us and not to make light of each spiritual opportunity that he sets before us. There's a story of D.L. Moody he calls it the biggest blunder in his life. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, happened on the 8th of October in 1871. He was preaching in Chicago in a place called Farewell Hall. And his text was, what then shall you do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? That was his text. And at the conclusion of the sermon, Moody said he was in a series and he said he gave the people a week to think of their response. Now, and then he turned to Arasanke and uh, he asked her, he asked her to, to, to do a solo. And Sankey sang, today the Savior calls. But by the third verse, Sankey's voice was drowned out by the noise at the back of the hall because the great Chicago fire had begun and the, the flames, even at that time, were beginning to, to, to catch at the back of the hall. And 300 people lost their lives, many of them in that very meeting. And the clanging of the fire bells and the noise of the engines made it impossible to continue the meeting. And in the years that followed, Moody wished that he had called for an immediate decision for Christ. So the first thing is there's a warning to heed. The second thing in this chapter is there's a lesson to learn. There's a lesson to learn, verses 8 to 11. Now, these verses in 8 to 11, if you're reading and you notice as Ronnie read them for us today, they bring to us Psalm 95, Psalm 95, 7 to 11, where Israel is given to us as a prime lesson of disobedience and desertion. In the long history of this earth, there's never been a 
migration of any people that started so well with such great expectations as Israel's journey in the exodus from Egypt. After being in slavery in Egypt for 430 years, God led them out with a mighty hand. And Moses, that mighty spokesman of God, delivered the ultimatum to Pharaoh in Exodus 5, let my people go. And after a series of deadly plagues that we can read from Exodus 6 right through to chapter 12, um, which ended in the death of every firstborn child in Egypt, the Pharaoh finally relents, and we can read this whole story in those chapters. And no sooner had Israel stepped into the wilderness to begin that journey, but God provided a, a cloud that would, would, would lead them by day and a pillar of fire that would lead them by night. This is pretty incredible. You read about this in Exodus 13. And uh, as soon as the Israelites left, Pharaoh changed his mind and set out in pursuit of the, with the armies and, and his chariots. And Israel watched in amazement as God opened the Red Sea, completely opened the Red Sea, and uh, allowed them to cross over on dry land and then drowned Pharaoh and his complete army. We read about that in Exodus 14. And yet no sooner had they celebrated the victory over the Lord's mighty deliverance that it began to grumble and complain and gripe. And, and in today's reading in verses 8 to 9, the writer tells us how Israel provoked God. This is what he says. Ronnie read it for us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. And rather than having a grateful heart for the astounding deliverance and limitless provision of God, there was a settled attitude of grumbling because everything didn't go exactly as they wanted to. They grumbled about manna, so God give them meat. They grumbled about water, so God give them water. But the pinnacle of their provoking of the Lord came when, the, when they arrived at the promised land and there was that brutal unbelief that they failed to grasp what God had provided for them. And 12 spies, I'm sure you'll know the story, went into the land to see what they were up against. And 10 came back with a negative report that they couldn't take the land. Giants making them look with like grasshoppers. Talk about exaggeration. And that night, unbelief was rampant in the camp. All the people wept. And one person rose up um, uh, with another to demand new leadership and a return to what they came from, a return back to slavery, to Egypt. This is what they were talking, stone the leader. Caleb and Joshua, the two good spies, gave a positive report and urged the people to go up at once and take the land. And of course, the people sought to stone them. And sadly, when they refused to obey the Lord, he pronounced his judgment on them. Listen to it, verses 10 and 11. The writer tells us that, this is why God, this is God speaking. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going to stray and they've not known my ways. So I declared a note in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. What an indictment. And just as quickly as the Egyptians got over their fear of God, the Israelites had got over their trust in their God. And their unbelief cost them everything. And they missed out on the blessings of their God in the here and now and in eternity. Sad. A generation of Israel that came out of Egypt doubted God. And because of their doubt, they deserted. And they never 
entered the land of Canaan. Now there's a warning to heed. He shows us there's a lesson to learn. And thirdly and lastly, he tells us there's an encouragement that is essential. An encouragement that is essential. Verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The warning is to guard our hearts because there is the danger in each of our lives of turning away from what we know to be the truth. To what is a a sinful, unbelieving heart, the question might be today. It's a heart that stands off from God. It's a heart that backs off from God. It's a heart that doesn't believe God. It's a heart that will not trust God. It's a heart that will not follow God, but goes after its own way. And then he says in verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The word encourage, or some of your versions will use the word exhort here. I I love this. It's from the Greek word parakleo, which is what the word that, that, that actually the Bible uses to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16. He's saying, as believers, we should do exactly the job of the Holy Spirit. We should draw alongside. That's what that word means. And we should help one another. We should exhort and encourage one another. The root meaning being coming alongside. And if you don't think you need anybody else to live the Christian faith, then that's a lie. You're arrogant and puffed up and in acute danger of a fall. I love, again, later on in Hebrews 10, 25, he says, not to neglect, not to give up, the NIV puts it, the meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need the encouragement of other believers because sin is deceitful, it looks good, and it promises much, but it enslaves and it leaves busted, broken lives. It devastates families. It shatters homes. It ruins testimonies. Not only that, but it hardens hearts of people who get trapped by it. And the more a person sins, the easier it is for them to continue in sin. And we need to warn each other when we see trouble coming that way. How different the story of the Israelites in the wilderness might have been had they have shown some daily concern to encourage one another in their faith in God rather than mutually inciting discontent and murmuring with unbelief. Pastor and writer Kent Hughes writes in his book, anchor for the soul. Let me quote from him. He says, the problem today is that so many people when asked about faith um, point to their exodus when they began with Christ. They can wax eloquent about their experience. How dare anyone question that? They went forward. They left Egypt. They were baptized and identified as God's people. They visibly drank from the same rock symbolizing Christ. They used the same redemptive talk with the same pious reflections. But troubles came and they turned away. And their accident, he says, their exodus is just a convenient memory. But to trust God now, that is the problem. For their faith is dead. 
if our hearts have become hardened so that we expect nothing from God and we attempt nothing for God, then our belief is more in our heads than in our hearts. And I hear all of this talk. I hear all of the talk about left or right, follow this or follow that. And my advice to you today is follow him. Follow him. There's something about this. The question is, what are you going to do today? And are you going to listen and act? I heard the story um, some time ago of a, 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 a little boy who, was, who loved birds and loved watching birds. And his mom and dad eventually bought him a, a new digital camera. And he went out with this camera for the first time and he was looking for an eagle and he was so enthralled by eagles and eventually out where he lived, where eagles lived, he got out into the mountains and, and he was watching and watching and all of a sudden he spied an eagle. And he started to click his little camera and he clicked and clicked and he watched the eagle as it would soar. And then he, he noticed the eagle swooping down to land and as the eagle swooped down, he, he, he was clicking and clicking and clicking his little camera and he was grabbing all of these picks and, and um, the eagle swooped down, lifted its prey and he thought, this is amazing, this is incredible and the eagle sw was swooping up into the sky with its prey in its claws and he's clicking and clicking his camera and all of a sudden the eagle falls from the sky like a, like a stone to the ground and he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it, so he, he, he hung his camera by his side and he ran over to where the eagle was on the rocks and he, and he nudged the eagle with his foot and when he nudged the eagle with his foot, there it was, it was dead and out ran from under the eagle a weasel. And what had happened was the, easel, the eagle had swooped down, had picked up a, an easel, a, a weasel, but it had, it had gnawed away at, its, at, at the chest of the eagle till it it, it cut right through a vein and the eagle bled to death and fell to the ground because it wouldn't let go of its prey. My question to you today is, what are you willing to let go of to hold on to Christ? I love Paul's writing to Philippi in 3.12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. <laughs> now, that's a powerful verse and it's worthy of note and it's worthy of study. Christ has grabbed hold of you so that you can grab hold of him. And there's many people who Christ has grabbed hold of and they've failed to turn and grabbed hold of him. And so if, you, if you've done it, and if you haven't done it, do it now. If you have done it and you haven't held on to that which he has called you for, then grasp it with all your might today. You say, well, how, how do I do that, Phil? I've never, I've, never actually, I've never actually grabbed Christ before. What do I do? Well, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved for it is with the heart that you believe and you're justified and it is with the mouth you confess and are saved. I, I just love that whole simplicity of the gospel. And so the, the, the call today is this, all right? Remember, there's a warning that we need to heed. There's a lesson that we need to learn. And there's an encouragement that is essential if we're not going to grow in this thing. And we need to set our eyes on him, not walk close to the edge. There's a story, I finish with this. There's a story of a lady who lived in a, 
a castle on a hill and she was looking at a new driver. Her old driver had retired and she was looking at a new driver that would take her up this twisty road up to her mansion. And in her interviewing her driver, she, her question was, how close could you drive me to the edge and I'd still be safe? And one by one, the drivers would tell, try to tell her how close they could drive a tire's bridge to the edge, how good they could drive. And then this driver came in and he said, Ma'am, with all due respect, I would never allow you near the edge. I will drive as close to the cliff edge of the cliff wall as ever possible. And you know who got the job. Life today, there's so many things calling for attention, pulling us to the edge, pulling us all kinds of precarious edges. My advice to you is stick close to him who has laid hold of you. Lay hold of him and let him guide you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do today. We're finished. There's a number going across the bottom of your screen, and it will. Um, there will be someone on that line. If you'd like to, um, someone to pray with you for salvation, if you'd like to some, someone to pray for you for healing, then that line is open, and our guys are waiting, and they would love the opportunity to get praying for you. So, Lord, I just pray that you would seal this word to our hearts and to our minds this week. I pray, God, that you would help us to, to, to look unto Jesus as the writer to Hebrews reminds us, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. This we ask in Jesus' name. Lord, bless you this week in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.